Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 54, part four. How many poor souls whirling like the autumn leaves, but suddenly, just when old Joachim's burning lever was at its height, just when the mystery was at its apex, just when he had felt that he could not endure the suspenseful mystery any longer, when he had felt that he would rather commit suicide than go on with this disrelated problem, which surely was no concern of his, there had been no more news of the great Raja's jewel. Other events crowding this out of the headlines, just as if it had never happened. So Mr. Spitzer, though suffering from the anguish of uncertainty, never had discovered whether the Raja's missing jewel had or had not been found, or how the whole matter had turned out. Suddenly, it had been forgotten, and there were other headlines. A famous ballerina, now in her advanced years, had died of an overdose of sleeping powder, and a channel swimmer had reached the other coast. A baseball player had left home plate several years ago, and a jockey had hung himself on a doorknob. The mayor had promised a clean-up campaign at City Hall. Only gradually, however, had Mr. Spitzer been able to dismiss from his mind the great mystery, a dim radiance he must once have seen like a star in a distant heaven. And indeed, as this mystery had never been solved, everything was anticlimactic now, for there had been no climax as there might have been if there had been a logical succession of events, one event following another with greater force, yet everything was diminishing. It still must seem to him, and there were only the shadows of shadows reproducing themselves, the memory of memories, the memory which was the memory of nothing, there were no crescendos, no swellings of sounds in the sky. There were only the diminuendos, the tapering candle flames, the dying notes. Gradually, too, each morning at the breakfast table before the empty coffee cup, he had realized that the newspapers he was reading, with bated breath, with such excitement that he could even hear the loud bird thumping of his wounded heart, were dated ten years ago, no matter which year he was counting from, that the crown jewel had been stolen the same year as Perron's death, almost forgotten death. For he found at last these obituaries in print, found that these same old newspapers carried notices of the interment of Perron Spitzer, who had been carried to his grave by those old jackknife jockeys, who now, sometimes on the shadowy streets, their shoulders still stooped by sorrow and their legs permanently bent, mistook Joachim for him, thus adding to Mr. Spitzer's present bafflement and sense of immortal sorrow. Mr. Spitzer, greatly shocked by coming upon these old newspaper accounts, which, at the time, suffering from emotional derangement, he must have ignored as if they had concerned himself. And besides, he had been so busy making arrangements for candle flames to be carried that day, for the sun had not shone that day, and the moon had not arisen that night from the sea, and all weather vanes had stood still, perhaps it never turned again, and all cartwheels had stopped, and the horse which had lifted its feet from earth had never set its feet on earth again, was even more shocked by the tenor of some of these elegaic remarks, the fact that his brother had been better thought of than he had known when his brother was alive. For according to the newspaper accounts, a famous sportsman had been laid away, had been buried outside the ritual of any church. A well-known figure of the turf would be seen no more. He would be seen no more in his usual haunts. Never again where the turf meets the surf or where the starlight dashes upon a blaze ball. Never again above the turf. He was under the turf, indeed, as Mr. Spitzer knew, for he had been the mourner and he had buried him. The world would never see his like again. He had been well known to all lovers of sports. They said he had been generous, noted for his pro profligacy, would always help a poor man to get back on his feet, would never refuse a fallen sister his assistance, though it was not mentioned what kind of assistance he gave. They said he had been a versatile, a man of many gifts, who, if he had lent his mind to it, would have, could have entered in almost any profession, but he had chosen this illegal way of life. Yet he had been liked by both his friends and his enemies, and it was probably less remarkable that he had been liked by his enemies than that he had been liked by his friends. He had known people in all walks of life, 
had never met a stranger, and yet many people had really known him. For he was a secretive character, and much of his life had always been hidden. He had no survivor. They said he had been kind, would not hurt a butterfly. There were old bettors who would take no more bets, old gamblers never again would cut the cards. He had been kind to old women, old men, those broken by life. He had been well known for his generosity to old, broken-down fighters. Those who had been kicked out of the starry ring, he promised to promote them in another starry ring. Old fighters had wept like babes when he had died. There were old fighters who would fight no more. Old award healers had wept and gone into mourning because he was no longer in their districts, because he had moved to another district. There were old dancers who would dance no more, not even in the clouds, old juveniles who never again would face the footlights, imagining that they were young and beautiful, beyond the realm of time. Old jockeys never again would ride the small-footed or the large-footed horses. Many old yachtsmen folding their sails had yachted no more, it was a fact. Many old golfers who golfed no more had never again rubbed the green. And there were old barbers who had shaved their last customer, and racers would not race again, and the world would never be the same. He had been sadly missed by all kinds of people. Indeed, there were peddlers who would never again push their carts. There were old streetwalkers who would never again bend their wares. There were old street singers who would not sing again. So Mr. Spitzer had been once more amazed, filled with a secret awe, when he had realized that his brother's career, which had embarrassed him, had aroused the admiration of others just for those reasons which had caused Mr. Spitzer's humiliation, and now aroused once more his envy. For indeed he had envied Poe in so many things, not only his death but also his life. Drawn out of his isolation, perhaps only by his brother's death, his isolation, Mr. Spitzer had been startled by only that faint evasive symphony, sympathy one shows in the problems of those one does not know. Or if he mourned for others, yet he mourned probably only for himself, he realized, for his grief was like a distillation or like the incessant grief of the world, like something touching upon all stars, all clouds, all waters, all winds like that which fills the sea with voices and the wings with signs. Fireflies have felt this grief, and night-blooming flowers have bloomed no more, and night owls hooted because of this nameless grief of the world. And yet there was ineffable beauty in this grief, more precious than crown jewels or lost empires or ruined dynasties. This precious grief without which he could not live, could not die, for it illuminated him. Indeed, it might be said that he had been killed by that without which he could not live. He had been murdered in his sleep and had awakened with a dull, throbbing headache. For perhaps he had not awakened as the same man he had been when he had fallen to sleep. And who has not felt this sense of loss made greater by one's not knowing what one has lost? Where and when and why? By one's not knowing at all times to whom the loss had occurred. Had the loss occurred in eons past? Yet it might be a premonition of the negrescent future. Or one might awaken again. Or one might never awaken. In the search for identity, Mr. Spitzer might be so often mistaken as he had realized before the search began, and thus had nearly been tempted to keep himself hidden away forever, though such a death as his would be that death which would be honored by no memorial, no monument, no grave. He would not even leave his work, his music, the music of the spheres. Yet Mr. Spitzer, when he knew the coast was clear, that no one was looking for him, had emerged, even like a snail creeping out of its house had crept out again into the clouded sky, walking again with his air of sad abstraction, accompanied always by the soft hissing of the snow, through long, lonely, echoing streets, streets where everything seemed, in spite of unfamiliarity, like the vague repetition of some former life, perhaps the constantly and constant repetition, streets which would seem to lengthen as he walked, looking for himself, looking for his dead brother, for someone who would know him without a qualification, 
This familiar gentleman of shabby elegance who had not changed for years, who was always polite, subdued, diffident, and self-effacing, and who might be recognized, he still believed, by the blue knot growing on his forehead, the delicate network of broken blood vessels in his glassy cheeks, the excessive flesh, the faded perfume he wore, or the mourning band around his sleeve. Or the spray of wraith-like maiden hair, the white rose on his coat lapel, or his black bordered handkerchief, or his two wrist watches, one which he wore on his right wrist, one which he wore on his left wrist, which had no perceptible pulse beats, less than the quiverings of a dead moth or sparrow, his dead side, one which kept no time and was for the living so that he would miss his appointments, one which kept time and was for the dead so that lie, so that he would not miss his appointments, or he, or by his flowing bow tie, so old-fashioned now so seldom seen, unusual as a four-in-hand vehicle, or by the gleamings of mother-of-pearl on this amorphous person which, like a cherubic cloud, would seem to change before his eyes. For he would always see himself, could not escape, and he was covered by wild goose barnacles, as are those who have dwelled long in the waters, the waters of a dream. And indeed, though Mr. Spitzer had not consulted a physician now for so many years, being his own physician, he believed, and diagnosing his own ills, and taking his own medicine, mixture of several powders, elixirs of secret life, that a great physician had consulted him in a dark midnight street, under a dim lamp suddenly gleaming like an already extinguished star, had introduced himself and had shown Mr. Spitzer his calling card and several charts of the heart, the upbeat and the downbeat and movements of his, as of waves, long surges and the quick steps. And Mr. Spitzer had first thought that he was a musician, but he was this great heart specialist. And he had told Mr. Spitzer that he made his living testing the hearts of minotaurs and sea lions and whales, of all those who had been submerged, and he had asked if he might take a, make a test of Mr. Spitzer's heart, for he could see that he was only surfacing, coming to the surface of life, that he had been a long time submerged, longer years than anybody knew, and he was only coming up for air. But Mr. Spitzer naturally refused, for what good would it have done to have tested his heart, and what could it possibly have proved, no matter what the physician had heard, whether he had heard the silence or the murmur? Perhaps he would have found that Mr. Spitzer's was the beating heart, and perhaps he would have found that his was the resting heart, the eternally resting heart, that which beat no more. Or perhaps, and this was what Mr. Spitzer had so greatly feared, he would have heard the beatings of two hearts. The outer signs are probably trivial, probably unimportant to others, for they might mean anything. Well, there might be his brother's mimicry, his brother's mockingbird psychology, Mr. Spitzer knew, for his brother could imitate anything, even the sound of the dying wind, the sputtering candle flames, the golden cobwebs singing, had been a great imitator whenever he had had a purpose, and sometimes even when, as it would seem now, he had had no purpose. Yet the outer signs would seem to reassure Mr. Spitzer when he was not sure of the inner signs, the thoughts which were like a cloud of incense, the dim radiance which would seem to escape analysis, and he had forgotten what his original impulses and present motives were, and his emotions, seeming always to occur to another man, no longer carried their own authenticity and rapture, when he no longer remembered why he should now be compelled to walk about and search through dim streets for something he knew he would never and he would never find, and why he must go upon these endless errands back and forth when he was lost and wandering and sad searching through streets which seemed to have moved during the night, streets which were intersected by streets he had not seen before, streets of those doors where only the loud centaur knocked, knocked, and knocked, and knocked, and there was no reply, for everybody had gone to the country. When everybody was away to the country, it would seem that it was then, just then, that the centaur came to town. 
He came for one could see his hoof marks in the muddy garden. Sometimes Mr. Spitzer, trying to justify his melancholy search, thought that he was looking in his late years for one who would love him for himself and not because he reminded that person of someone else. Yet he was not sure, not sure that having this love in this life, he wished to be loved on this side of on this side of eternity. Here in this life, which had lost its essential meaning for him, perhaps it never had a meaning. He wished that from the beginning and even now there had been excluded all the accidents of life. Even that creative accident with which the world began. Fickle, chance and chance meetings, transparent obstacles, unnecessary difficulties, weightless episodes which made as little impression on him as if he were already dead like that cloud through which he moved. Besides, he did not know which side of eternity it was. He was not sure that eternity could be bisected, or if so, that there were equal halves, for it might be divided in so many ways, unequal ways. And his was but this particle. And was there sound? And was there color? Was there darkness? Was there light? Where was there a human being? He was probably a poor oyster who was jealous of his own pearl, he believed. He was the sunlight which is jealous of the shadow. When anyone paid him a compliment, he was jealous of himself, thinking that this person thought he was his brother, even when it was the praise of his unwritten music, the sonorous, the sonorous sonatas of a dream. Just at that instant, he would disclaim all knowledge of music, would turn his deaf or his dead ear or a slight tremor across his face when he thought of himself. This eclipsed musician who, though he had dedicated his life to music, had not received the world's praise, for the world had turned a deaf ear to him. When people were kind, he was sure that he reminded them of Perone, who had not been kind to him and who had shown him an unnecessary lack of consideration. When people asked him of his health and mental state, the psych and the soma, he would suddenly begin to feel as if he were Perone and not himself. His own health had failed, and this was not his body, and he was increasingly so very tired, had paid so many tollkeepers for the mere pleasure of passing over a bridge which was not there. It seemed to him that everything that happened happened twice, once in a dream and once in reality, but he did not know which preceded the other. More often than not, the dream came before the reality, rarely afterward, and perhaps the reality came not. He seemed to pay the same bills twice, was often seemingly annoyed now because every bill that was sent to him was sent to him twice. More than once he ate his dinner in a public restaurant, at the same time wondering why on earth it should be lighted by gaslight flares. He had felt as if he were eating Perone's food, bitter food, which tasted as if it had lain in a grave. And he was not surprised when a waiter had asked him for the name of a long shot, when the waiter remembered having seen him the previous week, though he had surely never been in that place before. Or if so, he had been there in some kind of secondary or tertiary existence he really did not know of, taking place outside of him, like the idea of heaven. And so he was still very cautious, as he believed his brother might have been if he had had these problems now confronting poor old Joaquin, who sometimes thought that he was a mere third someone or a thing of ambiguous status, a mere iota, a tertium quid, escaping all those dehictomies which were supposed to be exhaustive and leaving no doubt permitting every doubt. He was his own wandering spirit even while he lived. The idea of order had been artificially imposed. Indeed, he knew that he was meticulous as to detail solely for the reason that, as he might say, he was not sure of the overall impression, total impression of clouds and waters and winds. For he was this poor weather vane of a man, caught helplessly between opposing winds blowing with a series of gales from other stars, not at all sure that the carefully chosen minor effects did not add up to something exactly opposite or almost exactly opposite from what he had assumed. If he had once been certain, he had lost all certainty. The road leading away from life was shorter than the road leading back to life, if there was such a road. 
and the idea has also occurred to him that though Joaquin's order as he now could see two ladies for Ron's confusion for all that he had excluded it was included yet what was worse his confusion might be the only order that there would never be a way to look down upon these passing moments so one must live always through them merging with a cloud at every point that there would never be a summary or a final statement or that elegy which should include his last breath there would be the hissing snow like our approach the roaring water and it seemed to be his terrible fate to carry with him always a passport to another life, when it was he who should have liked to have ended it all, perhaps only a few minutes ago, she would sighly remark. For with every expiration of his breath, he expired. Perhaps he had died only a few minutes ago. Indeed, Mr. Spitzer would rather have gone to a greater wilderness than have searched through his wilderness, the gray and echoing city where one heard only one's lonely footsteps. He would rather have loped through vast forests and forded unfordable rivers, he would rather have crossed frozen steps and blank mesas. He would rather never have returned, for the scene was that of his failure. And perhaps, indeed, he only thought he had returned, and his brother had taken his place in the world of the living, or he had taken his brother's place in the world of the dead. Perhaps he had done so surreptitiously. In either case, the experience would be the same, a continuing grief. Grief for the dead world, grief for the living. His sorrow was great enough to admit a city gate, great as the city with this long traffic roar. Nothing should diminish it. All things should increase it, even as it diminished. And yet he was always alone, so lonely, carrying on his search for his brother, whom he knew he would not find, neither among the living or the dead, or where the two were one. And he would rather have looked for a lost ivory chessman or a scintillating crown jewel than for himself or his evasive brother. His brother had worn no perfume. Synchronizing his watch by the broken town clock, he tried to lose himself by helping others who were lost to find themselves, but there were so many pitiful instances of failure which shocked and disconcerted him, and all poor tattered demalions could be helped. Some, though he had helped them, would always fall apart again, perhaps in different ways from what they had fallen before. Sometimes he thought of himself as a one-man rescue mission, but not all could be rescued, and he would be fortunate if he could rescue only one man or woman, if he could bring one person back to life. Some bankers, shivering in their rags, thought they were beggars, but some beggars thought they were bankers. At the city dumps, stepping out of the shadows, fellows had shown them their expired pawnbroker's tickets. For the watches, the overcoats, the old harps they could not reclaim, even when they were but the dreams of harps. Or the old dog-eared yellow certificates, with certificates which they seemed to think were of great value. One man had shown them a certificate which read, Pay to the bearer, with each box of ivory soap flakes, one by box of ivory soap flakes. And this man has seemed to think that he was the American soap flake king. Another had shown him a certificate which read, Pay to the bearer one tin can of gold dust scouring twins, powder guaranteed to make the dullest pottery shine. And this man has seemed to think that he owned gold mines in El Dorado. And Mr. Spitzer, not wishing to disillusion these poor city scarecrows, and being at the same time a conscientious lawyer, leaving open every doorway of doubt and escape, had said that he would take the matter under advisement, that he would look and inquire and see what could be done, that he would return, and indeed he did return, though even when he came these people had moved on, had scurried like the autumn leaves, or gone, 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 like the king of Krakow, to whom he had promised a rocking chair for which he must wait until the tide brought it in where all were transients. Yet he believed that the most he could ever do was to defer the moment of revelation perhaps forever. He wrote no quick claims to the accounts of others, not even through his inanition, but allowed a case to close of itself through the slow process of time. Never once he believed that he challenged another person's illusions or pretenses, as his were so often challenged, sometimes quite rudely, as when someone jostled against his elbow or pushed him, 
sometimes it's subtle in endless ways. For each man was a deposed king, surrounded by his own fallen glory, living by his own mistaken light for darkness, and each had his own sense of loss which he could never part from, just as Mr. Spitzer had been a great musician in his youth, though one who had not lived to express himself by any articulate cry, and though one whose silence had been greater as the years had passed. The years had passed like mournful murmurs, like saddest clowns. Time through timeless, time though timeless, had surely left its mark on him. No cloud had ever dissolved. How many double dealers there were, how many hophead screwballs, snowbirds, their numbers always increasing. Would old Joachim challenge another man and say that he was a liar, that he did not exist, only thought he existed? To the sorriest old hag, whether beaten and twisted out of shape, wearing glass jewels, trailing her red taffeta skirts through a city dump, he would pay the same courtly attention as if she were what she thought she was, a reigning beauty. He would tip his high silk hat, tap with his cane, make a few appropriate comments. He had gone to a pawn shop and bought a second-hand overcoat for a poor old man who did not have an overcoat to cover his naked body when the winter winds blew cold and when the wolves howled. He had bought for another man a pair of false teeth. He had bought for another a glass eye. He had bought for another a second-hand hat, for another a pair of earmuffs, for another a second-hand pair of walking shoes, for another a wooden leg. For still another, an old drunken lord with a glassless monocle, he had bought a gold-knobbed walking stick. He had helped to clothe several men partially, though he had never yet been able to clothe one man completely, not even in the clothing of a dream. And perhaps he did better for these poor creatures than for himself. And besides, there were so many of them, he simply could not afford with his limited means to clothe them all. He had taken a poor man out to supper several times, a quick lunch counter, had urged him to drink two cups of coffee, his own, and Mr. Spitzer's.